So we're going to turn now in Malachi uh, chapter 3. If you're like me, you can pull it up on your phone. If you're like me, what I really love is a good book. So if you have your Bible, you can open that up. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the pews in front of you, and you're welcome to open that. Let's receive the word of the Lord. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This is the word of the Lord. 
this is your first Sunday joining us. We are in a seizure, a seizure. No, we're not. We're in a series called Major Prophet from the Minor Prophets. And this has been a delightful series. I've really, really enjoyed it. I hope those here have been encouraged by it. Uh, we are currently in the book of Malachi, as you heard. And uh, this is our second to last week of this series. So we'll be wrapping the series up next week. If you missed anything and would like to catch up or go through the whole series, all of those are available on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website. Today, I'm going to be looking once again at focus. We've talked about focus probably three or so weeks in a row now in different capacities. Last week, we talked about the, the failures or the traps for teachers, leaders, disciple makers. We also talked about this beautiful picture or image of a healthy teacher, leader, or disciple maker. You remember the tree with the roots, which is the reverence of God, and the trunk, which is the word of God, the branches, the righteousness of God, and the life-giving fruit, which we see in turning many away from sin. And that was all from Malachi 2. And at the end of Malachi 2, we have this question posed. And for those of you who have been here for the series, it'll be a familiar question. Where is the God of justice? Right? We've seen this reoccur through each of the minor prophets. And we lamented together in Habakkuk as we asked that question regarding our own lives and our own culture. God gives an answer in chapter 3. And I think it's important as we reflect on the many different aspects of living in Christ and going through hard times, the importance of, we'll hear about the refining fire and what that means. So we're going to look at that. I'm going to look at that and I'm going to look at one other thing. I couldn't pass up on the opportunity, as you heard it talks about tithing in the, in the middle of this text. And I have never given a message on giving. I've never given a message on giving. And so uh, after a few conversations, I felt challenged to do so. And I'm going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. Because I'll tell you, as I studied this, I experienced incredible joy in learning about this topic. I hope that it is joyful for you as well. So let's dive into Malachi 3. And first, we're looking at this concept of refining fire. And we have a beautiful picture just in verse 1. It's a pointer to the Trinity. In the Old Testament, we have very few, there, there's, there's nothing directly speaking to the Trinity of God. But here we have a subtle pointer, and I'll show you. Okay, so verse 1 it says, I will send my messenger. Who will prepare the way before me? Okay, let's just break that down a little bit. My messenger, we know from the New Testament that his messenger is John the Baptist. Okay? Because this is, they quote this in the, in the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John the Baptist is this first messenger. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way. And this is God speaking to Malachi for me. Okay, so God says, John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for him. Okay, interesting. Then we get, then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So we know that 
when it's saying the Lord you are seeking, it's not talking about just any Lord or somebody who is over, sees over a, a piece of property or a land or a kingdom. This is talking about the Lord, and we know that because he says he's going to come to where? His temple. He owns it. Well, who owns the temple? God owns the temple. And then we have this interesting shift, okay? Because we have a second messenger messaged. (laughs) I totally didn't say that right. A second messenger mentioned at the end of this. And this messenger replaces the me, which is very interesting. And I believe a pointer to Jesus. Because we see that he says, John the Baptist will prepare the way for me. And then he says, replaces it with an external, the messenger, I believe Jesus, of the covenant whom you desire will come. And so we can insert, I believe, then suddenly the Lord Jesus you are seeking will come to his temple, referring to Jesus, and this messenger Jesus of the covenant whom you desire will come. Study the word for yourself. See if that's what you pull from this. But for me, this is what I saw as I studied. We have John the Baptist, who's going to be the one who leads the way for Jesus. And we know that to be true from the New Testament. So how cool. A, A cool pointer to Jesus, but then it also defines this messenger in verse 2 as a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire. And this is incredibly significant because it's, it's not a forest fire or an incinerator's fire. Okay? You'll see the difference here. A forest fire burns indiscriminately. And an, in, uh, and an incinerator's fire destroys completely. Okay? But a refiner's fire does something incredibly Different, And we know that there's this incredible difference because we see in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, will not be consumed. You will not, uh, you are not destroyed. And so we see this refiner's fire that does not consume completely and does not destroy indiscriminately. Instead, It separates out impurities that ruin the value and leaves what? Pure gold, pure silver. That's what a refiner's fire does. And that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Pure gold, pure silver, that sounds great. So we think about living in Jesus, our refiner's fire, as a a process of purity in our own lives. And that is incredible. But it's still fire, right? I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I had a a wood stove. Okay? They were much more common when I was growing up. Turns out they burned people's houses down. Wild. (laughs) It happens. Chimney fires. It's like the number one cause of, of house fires. But everyone had a wood stove. And there's a rule with the wood stove. The, the, the heat that comes from a wood stove is remarkable, right? For those of you who have experienced the heat of a wood stove, it's wonderful. It like permeates deep into you. It warms you in the insides. It's lovely. But if you touch the stove, you get burned. It can feel as lovely as you want until you grab hold of it. And I did that several times as a younger child. Boy, this feels great. 
ah, that didn't feel great. We talked last week about the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, and we talked about electricity. And here we see in Malachi 3, it talking about this reverence, this fear of the Lord and comparing it to this fire, this refining fire, which we want to be so close to so that our lives can be transformed and purified for God's greater glory in our living, right? But it's hot. It's powerful. And we need to be careful. So we have Jesus, the messenger of the refiner's fire. This is a beautiful message of restoration. It's exciting. It's something we should be very excited about. It says uh, in verses 3 through 4, that the Lord will... Uh, that the Lord, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. There's a restoring of the way things were meant to be in this fire. So, what about this question at the end of chapter two? What about the where is the God of justice? We have this hope in the refining fire, and it is still fire, and the process can be burning. I've shared many times a story of a conversation I had with, with Scott many years ago about walking through the deserts and, and it being like sanding down a piece of furniture in order to refinish it. It's painful, uh, but all the, the issues with the furniture get sanded away, and when it's I'm out the other side, it's, it's lovely, it's pure, it's more complete. Similarly with gold and silver as they go through the refiner's fire. And so there is justice in the refining, okay? There's justice in the refining. But then God also speaks to a trial in verse 5. And in this trial, God will put on trial, testify against, and deliver a verdict. He's all the elements, He's the judge, the witness, and the jury. And so God is saying that when I bring this trial upon people, specifically in this, he talks about sorcerers and adulterers, liars and cheats, people who abuse those who are, uh, or take advantage of those who are in need, take advantage of wages and stuff like that. So he speaks specifically to those items, but I think in general he's saying, I will put on trial those and I will testify against those who are who are living this way and I will bring a verdict and then we see this word this word that we talked about last week referring to electricity now we're talking about fire we see this word fear pop up again in verse five right we just read it again so I will come to put you on trial I will be quick to testify against sorcerers adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fe fear me. The emphasis on all of those things is the absence of fear. So on all those things, the emphasis is the absence of fear, of reverence, and so what I want to talk about today is we're going to move into the part of the sermon I'm really excited about, is I believe by some measure an absence of fear is an absence of faith and trust. 
we're going to swing back to this. But right now, we're going to dig into the breaking of the covenant by withholding tithes. This is going to be awesome. I hope you're ready. Is everybody ready to have a great time? Oh, boy, I'm excited. Okay, so tithes are an interesting thing, right? It's an interesting thing. They're not really mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, that was a point of my conversation with uh, Glenn earlier this week. And on some digging, I see that Jesus talks about them. Uh, and it's specifically when he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers. And he's saying, you know, hey, you tie your rue and your cumin, tithe your rue and your cumin, and you do just the right thing, but you neglect justice and faithfulness. And then, he, and then he says, I'll tell you what, do the justice and faithfulness thing and don't forget about the other thing too. Also do that, okay? So he doesn't abandon when talking to the teachers of the Pharisees the tithe, but there's a restructuring that we see in the New Testament and that's what we're gonna dig into today. We as a church don't pass a plate and we don't talk about the tithe so much. And that's because we believe that there is a, that the, the restructuring of the tithe in the New Testament, I think, deals with giving in a new way. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But to summarize, as we're looking at Malachi 3, God says, return to me. And they say, how? And God says, stop robbing me. And they, uh, say, they say, what do you mean? And then he says, God says, you aren't bringing the whole tithe. He says, test me. He says, test me. And I would say, trust me and see what happens. I will do great things when you test and trust me. Now, when we look at the New Testament in, in it, how it engages giving, Paul has loads of instruction to the church on giving. And the first thing that I want to talk about is that the costs of the new, in the new mission of the church seems to increase, not decrease, okay? So in Old Testament, the tithe went to take care of one of the tribes of Judah, the Levitical priests, and to take care of the temple. Those were the primary things that the tithe covered. Well, when we see Jesus come and we see the priesthood gone, and there's a new command on how the church supports the growth of the church, there are a lot of new commands. And to look at a few, we see in Galatians 6, 6, it says to care for the teachers, this is summaries, by the way, folks. This isn't verbatim. If you want to look at these texts later, go for it. I'm just summarizing. In 1 Timothy 5.18, it says to pay your pastors. In 1 Timothy 5, it says to care for the widows. In Romans 15.26, it says care for the poor. In 1 Corinthians 9.7, it deals with caring for the missionaries. And so with a new mission on the hearts of the people in the New Testament to reach the nations, Jesus doesn't abolish the tithe, but at the same time, the New Testament doesn't command a tithe, although the needs were great. There does seem to be a, a refocusing away from a contractual giving to 
a generous and cheerful giver, okay? And we see this. We see this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, okay? And so this is why we don't pass a plate because that would be compelling you to take things out of your wallet and put it in the plate, right? We don't want you to be compelled to do that. God wants a cheerful giver. And it says right here, what? Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give. Be careful here. It's easy for us to go, whew, sweet relief. (laughs) I have decided to give zero. And I feel really good about it. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bring up a few things here that may shift our perspective as we're moving through this. First, the first part of the verse says, each of you should what? It, give. Yeah, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give. So zero isn't really an option, okay? And we're not just talking money. We'll get into that. But zero isn't really an option. But I want to point at two examples that Paul gives us that I think will allow us to reassess this situation appropriately. The first example is the Macedonians. And the second example is a transformed perspective from mine to his. Okay? So we're going to look at those two things. First, the Macedonians. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul uses the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians. We're going to look at that here, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of very severe trial, okay, I want to pause there. This is Paul talking, right? This guy spent some time in prison. By some, I mean a lot. He's seen a lot of trials. Not only has Paul seen a lot of trials, he's been the perpetrator of a lot of trials. He's got every angle. And so when Paul says they're in the midst of very severe trials, I'm sure it is very severe indeed. Okay, you with me? Okay, so the Macedonians, they're in very severe trial. But their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. There it is, that cheerful giver. They urgently pled with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Paul says to the Corinthians later on in the text that they're doing awesome. Okay, so later on, a little further down in 8, he goes, you guys are doing great. You're teaching the word well. You're faithful. There's all these things where you are excelling, exceptional. But wait, I really want you to observe the Macedonians on this issue. 
2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. I'm not commanding you, I love Paul, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. It's an interesting not command. I don't know if you have read Philemon, but he does a similar thing with Philemon when he's asking him to send uh, Odesimus back to him. He's like, I certainly have the confidence to tell you to do what's right, but I'm going to let you get there. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's what you did. (laughs) Paul's goal is that the Corinthians would be ready to present the most generous gift, not for their benefit specifically, but also as an example to the other churches at this time to see that in their excellence they were excessively generous. And you see, this encouragement is not for the church to reach an acceptable minimum, okay? But rather, for our own benefit, we joyfully release the maximum, okay? I'm gonna say that again. This isn't an encouragement for the church to reach an acceptable minimum or the tithe. But rather, for our own benefit, we joyfully release the maximum. We see this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I think we can look at this sowing from a, different, a couple of different angles, it certainly can be monetary generosity. And for many of us, that's maybe a very good place to start. Because I've talked many, many times about the fact that in our culture, oftentimes, love of money is our primary idol. Okay? And so releasing that is incredibly important for our benefit. But this, you might not be in that situation. You may not have an abundance. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're trying your best to pay the electric bill. I've been there. So this resource can be time or other things as well. But it's important that you are, it's, a lot of it's about perspective. We're going to dive into that as we get back to Malachi in just a second. But I haven't dived into the second issue that Paul brings up regarding our generous giving. And that is a transformation in perspective from mine to his. I've read this, we're gonna look at a text out of Ephesians. I've probably read this text dozens of times. I love Ephesians. And so I've probably read this text dozens of times. And I've never, but I've never stopped and read it from a perspective of giving. And so as I was reading it this week, It blew my mind what it says here. This is Ephesians 4, 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Does that strike you as ridiculous logic? Like, that's a wild logic. From our perspective, as we live today, here's the logic for you. Alternatively to stealing for Paul, it's not working so that you, that you might get in order that you might have. No. Rather, the alternative to stealing is working so that you might get, so that you might give. That is really different from how 
I've ever thought about not stealing, <laughs> you know? Which is why it brings me back. Remember the conversation God has with Malachi in the people of Israel, Judah in Malachi 3. What's he say? He says, return to me. And then they say what? They say, how? And he says, stop robbing me. Stop stealing. And they say, what do you mean? And he says, you aren't bringing the whole tithe. Test me. Trust me. See what happens. Wow. Some of us, like me, may think of sin regarding money as purely theft. But I think Paul might just say, Work, uh, working to have rather than working to give is on similar footing as theft. Working to have rather than working to give is on similar footing to theft. Follow me here, okay? If you are a believer, if you believe Christ is your Lord and Savior today, and you've been hoarding up the things that you have, and yet you say, what I have is God's, Right? I think we would all say that, right? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you say, what I have ultimately is God's? I hope so. What I have is God's. And we see Jesus say to his disciples, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's the best gift we can ever receive. Encourages, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Providing purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes uh, near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See the focus? I said we were going to talk about focus and here we are. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we have this concept of generous and cheerful giving broken down and paralleled to what God's talking to his people about in Malachi. Don't rob God. Where's your treasure? Now, I love my bike, okay? And I love my walking shoes. I like these dress shoes. I wear them often. And there are many things that I enjoy, but the important thing is where's my focus and am I thinking about am I thinking about the ways that I can give for the glory of God? Is that on my heart and mind? Is that foremost? And I can tell you folks, I don't think it has been for me. Okay? I've been good about the tithe for a long time, mostly thanks to my wife. <laughs> okay? But my attitude could use improving. Maybe you're there today too. I don't think it's hard for us to get in that place. I'm going to invite up the worship team and the ushers. Now, I said we were going to talk about the fact that by some measure, I believe the absence of fear is an absence of faith or trust. And so here we are. When describing the fact that the people of Israel don't fear God, the items used to describe it are all faithless actions. You see... Because they didn't fear the outcomes of not living faithfully or trusting in his provision, they started shifting their fear from God to a fear of provision. 
You see, it's subtle. It's sneaky because we say God is our provider. And so we trust in the provision. But when we start to take characteristics of who God is and we move our focus to them rather than on God himself, then we get ourselves in trouble. And a fear of God can shift to a fear of provision. It's a small and sneaky, subtle shift. Isn't that how sin works? But in this shift, their trust also shifts from God's provision to self-provision. You see it? I hope that you and I can be encouraged today to shift our focus, to release self-provision and seek God's provision because it is so much greater than anything we can provide for ourselves. And that in that, we would be able to continue to grow to be incredibly cheerful and generous givers. As we move into receiving communion, let us meditate on how we can continue to grow in becoming people who are purified in Jesus' refining fire, releasing ourselves to give cheerfully and generously.